0: I'm Sheila Hamilton and welcome back to Beyond Well. This is a program for people who want to learn more about their interior. And every week we delve into another aspect of being human. Uh, I'm so pleased always every week to be joined by Drs. Jenna Lejeune and Dr. Brian Goff. So nice to see you both. And this week, a fabulous writer, actress, author, and, uh, she is out with a critically acclaimed memoir called "I Am Yours." Welcome, Rima Zaman.
1: Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank
0: it's you. really good to see you. I'm going to ask you just to pull the mic a little closer because okay. we're, we've been we want we want you to be as warm as you are in real life. All right. Um, your story, I think, uh, resonates with me on so many levels because uh, you're a young woman writing about how do you get out and claim your own life and your own voice. Mm-hmm. But the story gets so much wider because mm-hmm. of where you've come from, the type of culture that you grew out of, and the way that you claimed this voice for yourself in such a like proud and, and brave manner. Thank so f- I just want to say that first of all that I'm sure people from every aspect of of this society are saying this is remarkable that she was able to do this. Thank you so
1: much. The the response to the memoir has been extraordinary and I'm so grateful. The memoir's called I Am Yours and I wanted to write a human story. I didn't want to speak specifically to a, a, a specific demographic or gender. I wanted because Growing up... So I'm from Bangladesh and I was raised in Thailand. I was born in Bangladesh in 1983. I'm the firstborn child of an arranged marriage. And I'm a girl. I'm a daughter. And so I, from the very young age, I was acutely aware of the systemic sexism and racism that plagued the planet because I saw it all around me and I felt it on me. And for such... For so many decades of my life, I felt invisible and un- not represented in media, not represented in the books that were available in my school library. And so I gave myself the task of directing this book to a reader who is just purely human. Mm. Because the last thing I would ever do is write to only one demographic. right? And unintentionally create that invisibility that I had suffered from f- as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. Mm.
0: You said something uh, just now that just struck me. You said, I, I was so acutely aware of mm. being invisible, but when we're children, we're not that aware. We're aware that we feel lonely or we're aware that we wish we could do things boys were doing, but you right. say you were aware, I, how?
1: I was, my, but my, my mom and my dad, my mom and my father say that I was born with this um, almost unsettling maturity. Mm. And i would uh, I would pester them with questions from the time I could speak as a toddler, and I would ask my mom, "Why is the sky blue? Why does it rain? Where does rain come from? Why is sweet sweet, and why is spicy, spicy?" And where does pain live? Why does it hurt when I fall? And does pain live where in the same place where love lives? And I would ask her about time and space a lot. The first time I ever conceived of death was because I was reading a book my mother taught me to read when I was four years old and because she realized I needed something to occupy my brain Mm. and and um and I I conceived of death because I was reading this book and then I accidentally tore one of the pages and I realized if a book can tear and if a book ends when 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 will mama end Mm. when will I end wow I I asked her that and the gorgeous Wow. The, sa- the the gorgeous grace of my parents is that they never just batted aside my questions. They always did their best to answer in great detail and empathy and compassion to to satisfy my curiosity, and they spoke to me like an adult. And so ultimately they instilled the skills of cognitive and critical thinking in me from a young age. So by the time, you know, I was 9 or 10... I was picking up on things like poverty in Bangladesh and mm. poverty in Thailand and sexism and the difference between um, and the injustice of being going to the mosque as a six-year-old girl and being separated from my three-year-old brother because of our gender mm. and it's because my parents they always spoke to me as though I deserved to know the answers. And that creates um, that that nurtures a child's curiosity. Hmm. And you know, as the years progressed, uh, wounds began to stack. Um, I went through significant sexual trauma as a child and a teenager and a young woman. And when people have asked me, "Oh, where where were your parents? You know, how, why didn't they protect you?" and I and I truly believe that every parent does their best with the emotional equipment that they have. And ultimately, my parents did protect me because it was through that skill for critical thinking that I was able to objectively view every wound and heal from it. Mm. So my parents were always with me, even if they weren't in the room.
0: The healing um, took a took a long time, as it does for mm. most young women. And you went through a period of severe anorexia. I did. Um, did that begin early in your life or and carry through to when you became an actress? Or yes. was it compounded because of the pressures of being an actress?
1: All of it. Mm. All of it together. Um, I became anorexic. It's It's so hard to pinpoint exactly when it infects your body. Mm. And I think it infects your body the first time you go through any kind of trauma that makes you feel worthless and invisible (laughs) and so some would say the beginning of my anorexia was 15 years old because I started um, starving myself and working out maniacally for two and a half hours but the story begins before then because when I was 11 years old a cousin 20 years my senior in Bangladesh he tried to molest me and Thankfully, I was able to get away from him because I had been warned by others in my family of the things he had done to them. And when I escaped and I reported those incidents, I was told boys will be boys and that this happens, especially between cousins. And in that moment, I, my voice and value were denied and dismissed. Mm. In that moment, I also realized that the reason why predators exist is because they're accomplices. And we live in a culture of silence and complicity that requires the silencing of children's voices and women's voices for that abuse culture to thrive. And it's all connected. And the third thing that happened was I made that vow that I was going to devote my life to becoming a voice for those who have been silenced because I saw that the people around me were either unwilling or unable to speak. My mother couldn't speak because she was already in a traumatic environment. And how is a mother without her own voice supposed to then speak on behalf of her child?
0: Mm, that's beautiful. I want right? to bring in Dr. Lejeune because she specializes in eating disorders mm-hmm. and body image um, things. Is this a pattern that she talks about where a mother has been denied her own voice and then the daughter ends up really suffering some kind of body image disorder? Uh, is it familial like that? I think having uh, being born
2: in a female body probably means you're gonna struggle with body image yes. and disordered yeah. eating. So yeah. regardless of, of what's going on with your mom, um, right. and I I just love the compassion that you have mm. for Thank your you. mom to be able to say something like like she was doing the very best that she could mm-hmm. and she wasn't able to have a voice. Um, because of the own trauma that she was in Absolutely. and how beautiful that now as an adult woman, you are able to have this voice and have reclaimed this voice, maybe in large part because those seeds were planted by your parents when you were very young. And mm-hmm. just having that ability to sort of see that perspective is beautiful.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I, my mother is my muse. Ah she is and the Mm. the book is written as a love letter literally it begins with the words dear love Mm. and in my acknowledgements i say to my mother and my father that this book was a love letter written to honor all that we have been and all that we have been through and my mother and i i'm actually living with her again
0: (laughs) right now (laughs) while i'm in portland um we are
1: that close (laughs) and um and she had me when she was 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went into labor during her final exams as an English literature major. Oh, wow. oh. She was giving her um, oratory Shakespeare exam and I started kicking. Oh. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> I kind mean, of mythological. I think that's poetry. <laughs> yeah. It's poetry. Yeah, Exactly. And that's one of the opening scenes. That's uh, page four and I am yours is how I started kicking and saying, okay, it's time. Mm. And um, And we have always been connected in that mm-hmm. way. And she she has given us and continues to give us her all. And Mm -hmm. when I say us, my siblings and I. And um, there was never a moment where I was ever angry at my mother Mm -hmm. because through our closeness, I could see her struggle, her suffocation of her voice. Mm. And if anything, it gave me the inspiration to do something in her name. Mm. And, And she says that I became the woman she needed me to be. Oh my God, that's so Mm. beautiful. And um, Mm. her natural disposition is uh, soft and compassionate. And so I definitely, I contribute all those lessons of compassion Mm. to her. And my natural disposition is a little on the fiery side. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was definitely an angry teenage girl. Mm.
0: Again, Uh sparked because I I had to be the voice my mother wasn't allowed to have. Right. Mm. I think yeah. that's beautiful. When you yeah. speak, and I heard one of your beautiful speeches mm. um, uh, at the Kennedy School, I think it was, you talk about radical vulnerability. Yes. What do you mean by that? It kind
1: of goes to what you were talking mm-hmm. about, about having radical compassion, radical empathy, and radical vulnerability uh, for ourselves and for others because I think vulnerability is courage. Mm. It is evident whenever you see someone... Um, speak from a, a scarred over place because there's a difference when you hear or you witness somebody speak from a wounded place. That's when their pain is still so raw that they bleed onto the stage mm-hmm. and they bleed onto the audience. And unfortunately, you run the risk of re triggering yourself and the audience. Mm-hmm. And so I always talk about writing from the scar as opposed to the wound and speaking and living mm. from the scar as opposed mm-hmm. to the wound. Yeah, it's beautiful. Doing the work to make sure we do the solo private journey, the hero's mid-cycle of scarring over yeah. and then being of service as we star, stand on the scar mm. and serve from there. And so that's what I ta- when I when I say radical vulnerability is speaking from that vulnerable place to become a, to be a conduit of courage and love and compassion and comfort for others. Because
0: I do believe courage is contagious. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing that I was most anxious to speak with you about today mm. was the path that you went on to be in a culture where marriages are arranged and women have no choice with who they are. Right To, to grow out of that, to be in a very toxic and abusive relationship to then decide i'm going to get out of that and then find yourself doing it again and right. yet and yet your book is called i am yours yes i want you to talk <laughs> about that dichotomy because the whole point i think of the book is finding our own voice in order to become our own first love
1: absolutely and um i i just love that question so much and thank you well i think i've I know I found myself recreating that same toxic relationship because our definition of love lives in the heart, not the brain. Not, and it's about identifying those roots of trauma, those roots of those toxic conditioning to reparent ourselves and create a new narrative of what love should feel like. Mm. And I hadn't stopped to do that work. I thought that because I had majored as a women's studies major in college, um, that was enough. I had this piece of paper to say that now I was a feminist and I was not going to fall into a toxic relationship, (laughs) right? And, um, but lo and behold, I recreated an uncanny replica of my parents' marriage because it felt normal. Mm. It felt like home to be around a controlling man who policed my clothing choices, wiped makeup off my face. Um, would grill me about my schedule and financial choices and professional choices, a man who would grow threatened at any presence of my voice or intelligence or assertiveness. And because I had been witness to my parents' marriage, I was able to catch what my husband was doing that quicker Mm -hmm. and uh, and it was during that marriage that I started writing everything down and I started writing because I hadn't ever associated myself as being a writer before I was an actress and a model and so a large part of an an abusive marriage is gaslighting as we all know and gaslighting is when a person twists your words against you to make you second guess and mistrust your the your validity and veracity of self mm. and so by writing everything down the page becomes a witness of our lived experience so every even though he would try to tell me things like oh honey i think you should speak less because every time you speak i can tell that people grow uncomfortable because you sound very arrogant and it's 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 pretty arrogant to assume people want to hear your opinion he would tell me this like after a dinner date with a, a, another couple and say so, you know you were talking a little too much and i'm saying this because i love you because that's always the mm-hmm. the 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 way it's posed mm-hmm. right in gaslighting i'm doing this because i love you but you shouldn't wear that much makeup because you look like a painted harlot as shakespeare would said or you should you should do this with your career you should do this with the way you dress you the, you should do this with the way you speak and i just started Watching him, observing him, and writing everything down as though it was a script. And then writing down my just objective analysis and reaction to that script as opposed to... Because when I was with him, your hormones and chemicals and emotions take over and you become silent. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and your so amygdala it's so is like... Wee! Exactly. And, and,
1: and it re-triggers trauma from yeah. childhood, all of yeah. that, you know? And so... In order to reclaim my voice or a semblance of a voice, I had to turn to writing because it was on the page where I could speak articulately. And the more I wrote, the more confident I became in my own thoughts again. Mm. And the more confident I grew, the more I started to speak back to him.
0: Wow. Brian, I want you to just note on that technique. I mean, what she has essentially done is... Almost ejectified herself so that she could take a clearer mm-hmm. view, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a brilliant life-saving measure mm-hmm. um, in therapeutic practice. Is there anything similar that you encourage people to do when they're in an environment that is so toxic and so difficult to figure out? Because, as she says, our hormones and our stress hormones are just mm-hmm. not allowing us to see clearly.
3: I'm not sure exactly how to answer that. What the the thing that I relate to as far as a I think a therapeutic Mm -hmm. practice, and maybe this is some of the function of writing this down, is that the cognitions, the thoughts aren't as hot, like you get to write them down and then look at them from another perspective with a different set of feelings and maybe experience them a little bit differently. And I, and I'm, it's not lost on me that you're writing your words Mm -hmm. when your profession I don't know if it was up to that point, but your profession for a while was to say lots of words, but they were somebody else's words. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so writing
1: in my own <clears throat> voice was already a radical act of mm-hmm. self-reclamation. Mm. Because like you said, Brian, I my entire day consisted of write, reciting the words assigned to me mm-hmm. by others. Mm-hmm. So giving myself permission to speak on the page was in and of itself so healing and revolutionary Mm. and Mm -hmm. because it gave my I was finally giving myself the attention that others had denied and there's
3: this validation piece mm -hmm. too of you put that down and uh it's okay it doesn't need to be edited it doesn't need to be changed it doesn't need to be read by and stamped off by um uh, a director or a partner mm-hmm. or the photographer who it's like this is how I want to show up no I need you to look a little bit more like this or right. a little bit more like yes. that
0: yeah that's exactly. what I was thinking of was especially in the role of an actress or as a person doing that kind of thing it's always we need you to look a certain way Right. you need mm-hmm. to say these words you in essence are selling yourself that's... again exactly mm-hmm. exactly and
1: i i believe every writer especially non you know memoir writers mm-hmm. We become who we are. We become writers writers, because at one point in our lives, we were made to feel invisible and voiceless. Mm. And go, writing on a laptop or a journal or, or the page is about reclaiming that voice that was once taken away or denied. And that infuses us with validity and with healthy visibility. Mm. There's mm-hmm. such a big difference between being stared at and being seen mm-hmm. and you know, start writing during my abusive marriage was the first time in my life that I've seen by myself. And mm-hmm. so, actually, so to go back to your original question about "I am yours" is I chose that title because it evolves. There's numerous layers to that title. Initially, in the book, that sentence comes in because my imaginary best friend from childhood would tell me that to give me comfort. It she would say. I am here, I love you, I am yours. And then over the years, because of the way I was taught to receive and give love, I am yours became the thing I would surrender and pledge to the men in my life. So it, it it's initially a vow of love and then it would then it becomes a surrender of love. Mm. And then the journey um the happy ending, quote unquote, in I am yours is about reclamation and that what I can the final stage is when I can finally say to myself I am
3: yours
1: (laughs) I am my own it's beautiful yeah one
2: of the acts one of the ways I use writing in therapy um, or how I see it functioning is very similar to I think what you're talking about which is you know all of these stories all of these thoughts and evaluations we have about ourselves in our head they're largely there From our programming, right?
1: Absolutely. Like,
2: and your programming started when you were itty bitty Mm -hmm. and you kept getting programmed through all of your relationships. And so by being able to put all these different stories of you and what's happening out on a piece of paper, the way I understand it is it then gives you a choice to say, which one am I going to choose to yes. take as my story? Because when they're just up in our head, you can't even kind of see that they are a story that you're living by. You're kind mm-hmm. of living as if, you know, oh, you are kind of the the whatever arrogant right. harlot or whatever you were called. You can't even see that you are behaving out of that story. So by putting these things on a piece of paper, you can see... Oh, that's a story of me. Yeah. And and Absolutely. not the one I choose.
3: Mm. That's that exactly. perspective shift yeah. of being able to look at them yeah. rather than from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rima, I wanna ask you, um, now when you go back to the I don't know if you've taken an international trip to talk about your book back mm-hmm. to Bangladesh or to Thailand, but I'm I'm wondering if little girls aren't just sitting there looking at you <laughs> wide-eyed like mm-hmm. what her picture is on a book and yes. she lives in America and and what you would say to them if they said, I want to be you yes, because your you. path out was so extraordinary in some ways and honestly really hard, thank really you. hard to do.
1: Yeah, and it has been amazing. So I just came back from a 10-state book tour around the, America and And one of the most gorgeous parts of it has been meeting hundreds of readers who are from all over the planet, every single ethnicity and gender and age, from girls who are 12 years old to men and women in their 70s, and meeting one after another a Bangladeshi girl, an Indian girl, a Pakistani woman, who are saying, I have never seen anyone who looks like me on stage Mm -hmm. and you are my first. And one of the literary devices and I am yours is that from the time I'm a young girl, I, from, from kindergarten, I'm looking for a book where I can see myself in the pages Mm -hmm. and almost in every single chapter, I talk about a a different book that I love in that stage of life and yet it is somehow not able to, hear and hold my full heart. Mm. And my decision to write the book, I talk about it in *In I Am Yours, is that to realize that in the same way that a man cannot answer my heart, neither can another author speak for mm. my voice. And perhaps the book I've been searching for all my all my life is the book I was born to write. Mm. And it's a metaphor that applies to all of us. When the world denies us representation, when the world is unable to give us the opportunity or relationship or parenting or love that we so crave, it is upon us to genesis our own. Mm-hmm. And so when I've been meeting all of these girls and women who who look like me and say, who are saying, oh my gosh, it's astonishing. One girl in LA, she said, it's trippy. It is so weird <laughs> to see your face up there holding a microphone and being given the literal and proverbial spotlight. Mm. And my response is that the best thing about being the first, because this is the first memoir to be written by a Bangladeshi woman that speaks on abuse, assault, anorexia and the path to recovery. Mm. And, you know, how you were saying that there are Mm -hmm. so many narratives to focus on. And I focused on this narrative because I realized it would it had the potential to have the greatest impact and service and the greatest inclusion. Right. Mm. Uh, I didn't want to write it about modeling and acting. I wanted the narrative that would allow the most voices and faces to be represented Mm. Mm. and, The best thing about being the first is that it makes it possible for there to be a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth until we lose count because there is no more need to keep count. Mm -hmm. That's the most exciting part of my life right now and what this book has meant already and continues to mean.
2: One of the things I'm so inspired by when I hear you talking about is um, the... Sort of strength and courage from which you speak. Thank you. Um, And you talk about this idea of uh, radical vulnerability. And um, kind of in my language, how I talk about that or think about it and talk about it with with my folks is this idea of willing vulnerability. Mm. So, and and I think think they're very similar. I think we might be um, talking about the same thing. Because if I look at your history and the history of so many of the people that I work with, like you have been vulnerable your whole life. And there is a very big difference between being vulnerable from a position of a lack of power Mm -hmm. and a lack of choice and a lack of voice to this place of a radical vulnerability or a choice to be vulnerable and saying, Mm -hmm. I am choosing to put myself out there because it is my choice. And when I I think, yeah, when I think about like some of my clients and I think about like the risks that they take for things that are so important to them. And I think about you, you know, the risks that you're taking by putting this story out there, like vulnerability often gets this, oh, you're so vulnerable. And my clients who are vulnerable—they're the like, hell yeah, I'm gonna do that yes. type of vulnerable.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also <laughs> just the the bravery. Yeah. Um, enforces this idea of you of becoming a badass.
3: Absolutely. You know, so yeah. So badass. You, you don't really look at Rima
0: and say vulnerable little. You know, yeah. she's yeah. a badass. Yeah.
3: I, I really, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. It, it highlights. It highlights these freely chosen values yeah. mm-hmm. that yeah. you're living into. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when I heard your story and read some and and watched you speak, the 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 story that stood out to me was this sense that um, you were actually exceptionally good at being everything that everyone else wanted for you. Right. And and now these aren't about. Um, you know, in my world, those are referred to as um, well. I guess the the term would be pliant values, like compliance. Oh, wow. Like yeah. these aren't things that I deeply care about. These Way are to the get things geeky, that I. Brian. Care. I know. You I, know try, I try I'm trying to find a different word for it. I love where you're Stop. going. Right. Thanks for calling me out. Uh-huh. Absolutely, Brian's
2: going down the compliance okay. angle. All right. Okay. We're just going to skip over that word.
3: I'm um, fascinated. Thank you. See Tell Jenna. We're Sorry. just going to keep talking. Well, go ahead. Okay. So, But the sense that it's like I pursue these things not because they're intrinsically, Mm -hmm. personally meaningful Mm -hmm. to me, but because you will say Mm -hmm. what a great man or what a great husband or Mm -hmm. what a great father or what a great psychologist or what a great model or actress or Mm -hmm. whatever. And the payoff is from whatever reference group that's important to me, my partner or my boss or my whatever. And then this transition to doing things that are intrinsically valuable to you. Mm-hmm. And moreover, some of those things are being punished by other people or could potentially be punished. Right. Like, I don't like that voice. She's mm-hmm. saying bad things about me mm-hmm. or whatever else it might be. Right. And 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 that kind of chosen vulnerability uh, makes me think about, um, I, I sometimes tell clients of mine, uh, this saying ships are safe in the harbor yes. but that's not what ships are for no you know if you if you want to be really safe and it's a boat easy keep it in the keep it in the harbor or dry dock it but then why the hell do you have a boat exactly but if you care about where you're going if it really matters to you if you scuff up the hole or you take on some water fine Fine, mm-hmm. I care where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And that's a different kind of vulnerable. And Absolutely. the flip
2: side, though, of pliance is there's also, also to get geeky, there's also counterpliance, which oh is exactly gosh. the same thing. It and you is, called me out on a <laughs> but you went there. It's But it's still when my behavior or your behavior mm-hmm. is controlled by another person's reactions. So you could have gone down the ro- route of, well, my parents want me to be a X, Y, Z type woman, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna be the exact opposite of that. But it's still living in reaction. It's still living yeah, in right. reaction as opposed to you saying, you know what? I choose I choose to make this important. And whether mm-hmm. or not it is the same that person X or person Y or Culture Z says is important is not what is guiding my choice. Exactly. Yeah. You know and what I'm
0: relating this to, honestly, is that um It doesn't seem to me that at this particular time in culture, that anything that's not born of where you're at right now actually reaches through. That Mm. all of the other stuff, all of the other stories, all of the other prototypes, we're all so familiar with how they look. The only time, literature, music, um, anything of significance in terms of Art, creativity, science, design is happening when someone says, "I'm not doing what I've been told. Mm. Yeah. I'm doing what I now believe has to happen."
1: Well, I believe exactly. The world mm. is suffering from the old narrative. Yeah, from and the narrative was built on the shoulders of marginalized, yes. uh, people. silenced yes. people. Yes. Right, and mm-hmm. so in order to heal and evolve as a planet, we need to author a new story. Yes, we need the voices of Especially those who are silenced. historically. its the only yes. way we can, mm-hmm. we can, have, we can move on and progress. And I, you know, uh, listening to both of you, Jenna mm-hmm. and Brian, it's—and it goes back to the title, "I Am Yours," and it's about. Through whose eyes yes. are you going to see yourself, yeah. right? It's mm. When oh. someone is making you vulnerable because you're yes. a marginalized person, that's society and its toxic power saying, this is how we're going to reduce you yes. and minimize you versus being in ownership of your radical vulnerable courageous self yes right and it's the same and Mm -hmm. it's exactly what you're talking about Mm -hmm. about the clients Mm -hmm. client roles that we're playing Mm -hmm. right the Mm -hmm. client qualities Mm -hmm. and it's it's all the perspective shift of saying um I will not live in order to please others and be the negative space around their positive space. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is the positive space I am willing to stand in and claim as my own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I have, um, I can't wait for people to read the book, to hear the podcast, to see your star rising, Rima, because I think you're such an important voice to this next generation and to everyone who actually wants to fall more in love with themselves. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank
2: you so much, Sheila and Jenna.